0: Welcome back, Heming brainiacs, for part 6, chapter 8 of Buddenbrook's Poor, Poor Tony. What next? Sad chapter for Tony, but the ominous little warning at the end that it's going to get even worse. Zock says, my prediction, I don't dare predict what dreadful thing might happen next, I'm split on whether it is a good thing to do, but here's my prediction, Permanita's death. Okay. Um, Maybe. But I don't feel like that will be the worst thing that could happen to Tony. Maybe it is, but maybe not. Um, maybe the death of her firstborn, or maybe some horrible affliction on herself. I don't know. TA131901 says, Pretty depressing. I was thinking of how the specter of death in childbirth and childhood mortality hovered around these events in the past. Tolstoy's death of Ivan Ilyich and Krutzer Sonata talks about children dying almost matter-of-factly, and that's in comfortable middle-class families, to say nothing of poorer ones. That aside, we can see Tony, Tony's slide into downward mobility in this chapter. She was brought up to be a Buddenbrook, with all the importance that name carries, but it's all slipping away. Yeah. It's very sad. That's the saddest thing, isn't it? I think. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that. Her newborn dying is the saddest thing, but. Uh, the. Um, like. Removing her from her own sort of sense of self, you know. She identifies as a Buddenbrook and all that that means. And now mm-hmm. she's been removed from that. And I feel like that's just gonna break her spirit. Not to mention also, you know, the tragedy. Anywho, what's next for Tony? Let's read and find out, hey? Chapter 9. It was a day towards the end of November, a cold autumn day with a hazy sky. It looked almost as if there would be snow and a mist of was rising, pierced through every now and then by the sun. It was one of those days common in the seaport town when a sharp northeast wind whistled round the massive church corners and influenzas were to be had cheap. Consul Thomas Buddenbrook entered the breakfast room toward midday to find his mother, with her spectacles on her nose bent over a paper on the table. Tom, she said, and she looked at him, holding the paper with both hands as if she hesitated to show it to him. Don't be startled, but it is not very good news. I don't understand. It is from Berlin. Something must have happened. Give it to me, please, he said shortly. He lost colour and the muscles stood out in his temples as he clenched his teeth. His gesture as he stretched out his hand was so full of decision that it was as if he said out loud, "'Just tell me quickly. Don't prepare me for it.' He read the lines still standing. One of his light eyebrows went up, and he drew the long ends of his mustache through his fingers. It was a telegram, and it said, "'Don't be frightened. Am coming at once with Erica. All is over. You're unhappy and Tony. At once, at once, he said with irritation, looking at it for our console and giving his head a quick shake. What does she mean by at once? That is just a way of putting it, Tom. It doesn't mean anything in particular. She means by the next train or something like that. And from Berlin? What is she doing in Berlin? How did she get to Berlin? I don't know, Tom, I don't understand. The dispatch only came ten minutes ago. But, uh, but something must have happened, and we must just wait to see what it is. God in his mercy will turn it all to good. Sit down, my son, and eat your luncheon. He took his chair and mechanically he poured out a glass of porter. All is over, he repeated, and then Antony. How childish. He ate and drank in silence after a while for our ventured to say it must be something about Permanida, don't you think, Tom? He shrugged his shoulders without looking up. As he went away, he said with his hands on the doorknob, well, we must wait and see, as she is not likely to burst into the house in the middle of the night. She'll probably reach here sometime tomorrow. You will let me know, won't you? The foul console waited from hour to hour. She had slept very badly, and in the night she rang for Ida Jungmann, who now slept in the back room of the Entresol. She had Ida make her some ur sau and she sat up in bed for a long time and embroidered And now the forenoon passed in nervous expectancy when the consul came to second breakfast. He said that Tony could not arrive before the 3.33 train from Buxian. At that hour, the frau consul seated herself in the landscape room and tried to read, out of a book with a black leather cover decorated with a gold palm leaf. It was a day like its predecessor, cold, mist, wind. The stove crackled away behind its wrought iron screen. The old lady trembled and looked out the window whenever she heard a wagon. At four o'clock, when she had stopped watching and almost stopped thinking about her daughter, there was a stir below in the house. She hastily turned toward the window and wiped away the damp with her handkerchief. Yes, a carriage had stopped below, and someone was coming up the steps. She grasped the arms of her chair with both hands to rise, but then she thought better of it and sank back. She only turned her head as her daughter entered, and her face wore an almost offensive expression. Tony burst impetuously into the room. Erica remained outside at the glass door, with her hand in Ida Jungmann's. Frau Permanida wore a fur wrap and a large felt hat with a veil. She looked very pale and ailing, and her upper lip trembled as it used to when the little Tony was about to weep. Her eyes were red. She raised her arms and let them drop, and then she fell on her knees at her mother's side, "'burying her face in the folds of her gown and sobbing bitterly. "'It was as though she had rushed straight hither from Munich all in one breath, "'and now lay there, having gained the goal of her headlong flight, exhausted but safe. "'The Frau Consul sat a moment, quite still. "'Tony,' she said then, with gentle remonstrance. "'She drew the long hat-pins out of the Frau Permanida's hat and laid it on the window-seat. "'Then she stroked gently and soothingly her daughter's thick ash-blond hair.' What is it, my child? What has happened? But she saw that patience was her only weapon, for it was long before her question drew out any reply. Mother, uttered Frau Pramanida. Mama. But that was all. The Frau Consul looked towards glass door and still embracing her daughter, stretched out her hand and, to her grandchild, who stood there shyly with her finger to her mouth. Come, child, come here and say how do you do. You have grown so big, and you look so strong and well, for which God be thanked. How old are you now, Erica? Thirteen, Grandmama. Good gracious, a young lady. She kissed the little maiden over Tony's head and told her, Go up with Ida now. We shall soon have dinner. Just now, Mama and I want to talk. They were alone. Now, my dear Tony, can you not stop crying? When God sends us a heavy trial, we must bear it with composure. Take your cross upon you, we are told. Would you like to go up first and rest a little and refresh yourself, and then come down to me again? Our good young man has your room ready. Thanks for your telegram. Of course, it shocked us a good deal. She stopped, for Tony's voice came, all trembling and smothered, out of the folds of her gown. He is a wicked man, a wicked man. Oh, he is. Frau Pomerania seemed not able to get away from this dreadful phrase; it possessed her altogether. She buried her face deeper and deeper in the Frau Consul's lap and clenched her fist beside the Frau Consul's chair. Do you mean your husband, my child? "'asked the old lady after a pause. "'It ought not to be possible for me to have such a thought in my mind, I know, "'but you leave me nothing else to think, Tony. "'Has permanent her Permanent, done you an injury? "'Are you making a complaint of him?' "'Babette,' Frau Permanida brought out. "'Babette!' "'Babette!' repeated the Frau Consul inquiringly. "'Then she leaned back in her chair and her pale eyes wandered toward the window. "'She understood now. "'There was a pause broken by Tony's gradually decreasing sobs.' "'Tony,' said the Feral Consul after a little space, "'I see now that there has been an injury done, you, "'that you have caused to complain. "'But was it necessary to give the sense of injury such a violent expression? "'Was it necessary to travel here from Munich with Erika, "'and to make it appear for other people with will not be sensible, as we are, "'that you have left him permanently, that you will not go back to him?' "'But I won't go back to him ever. "'Never!' cried Feral Promanitor. And she lifted up her head with a jerk and looked at her rather wildly with tear-stained eyes, and then buried her face again. The Frau consul affected not to have heard, but now she went on in a louder key, slowly nodding her head from one side to the other. Now that you are here, I am glad you are, for you can unburden your heart and tell me everything, and then we shall see how we can put things right by talking by taking thought, and by mutual forbearance and affection. "'Never,' Tony said, "'never.' "'And then she told her story. "'It was not all intelligible, for she spoke into the folds of her mother's stuffed gown "'and broke into her own narrative with explosions of passionate anger. "'But what had happened was somewhat as follows. "'On the night of the 24th of the month, "'Madame Permanida had gone to sleep very late, having been disturbed during the day "'by the nervous digestive trouble to which she was subject.' She had been awakened about midnight out of a light slumber by a confused and continuous noise outside on the landing, a half-suppressed and mysterious noise in which one distinguished the creaking of the stairs, a sort of giggling cough smothered protesting words, and mixed with these the most singular snarling sounds, but there was no doubt whence they proceeded. Frau Permanida had hardly, with her sleepy senses, taken them in before she interu- interpreted them as well, in such a way that she felt the blood leave her cheeks and rush to her heart, which contracted and then went on beating with heavy, oppressed pulsations. For a long, dreadful minute she lay among the pillows as if stunned, as if paralyzed. Then, as the shameless disturbance did not stop, she had with trembling hands kindled a light, had left her bed thrilling with horror, repulsion and despair, but opened the door and hurried out onto the landing in her slippers, the light in her hand, to the top of the ladder. That went straight up from the house door to the first story, and there on the upper steps, in all its actuality, was indeed the very scene she had pictured in her mind's eye as she listened to the compromising noises. It was unseemly an indecent scuffle, a sort of wrestling match between Babette, the cook, and her permanenter. The girl must have been busy late about the house, for she had her bunch of keys and her candle in her hand as she swayed back and forth in the effort to fend her master off. He, with his hat on the back of his head, held her around the body and kept making essays, now and then successfully, to press his face with its great walrus moustache against hers. As Antonia appeared, Babette exclaimed something that sounded like Jesus, Mary and Joseph, and Jesus, Mary, and Joseph echoed Herpermanida likewise as he let go. Almost in the same second, the girl vanished, and there was Herpermanida left standing before his wife with drooping head, drooping arms, drooping moustache, too, and all he could do, all he could get out was some idiotic remark like, Holy cross, what a mess. When he ventured to lift his eyes, she was no longer there. She was in the bedchamber, half sitting, half lying on the bed repeating over and over the frantic, sobbing shame, shame. He leaned rather flabbily in the doorway and jerked his shoulder in her direction. Had he been closer, the gesture would have been a nudge to the ribs. Hey, Tona, don't be a fool, you know. Say, you know Franz, the Ramsau Franz, he had his name day today and we're all half C's over. Strong alcoholic fumes pervaded the room as he spoke, and they brought Frau Permanida's excitement to a climax. She sobbed no more. She was no longer weak and faint. Carried away by frenzy and capable of measuring her words, she poured out her disgust, her abhorrence, her complete and utter contempt and loathing of him and all his ways. Her Permanida did not take it meekly. His head was hot, for he had treated his friend France not only to many beers, but to champagne wine as well. He answered and answered wildly, and quarrelled. the quarrel reached a height far greater than the one that had signalized her permanent retirement into private life, and it ended in Frau Antony gathering her clothes together and drawing into the living room for the night, and at the end he had flung at her a word, a word which she would not repeat, a word that should never pass her lips, a word this was the major content of the confession which Frau prometida had sobbed into the folds of her mother's gown but the word the word that in that fearful night had sunk into her very depths no she would not repeat it no she would not she asserted although her mother had not in the least pressed her to do so but only nodded her head slowly almost imperceptibly as she looked down on tony's lovely ash blonde hair "'Yes, yes,' she said. "'This is very sad, Tony, and I understand it all, my dear little one, "'because I am not only your mama, but I am a woman like you as well. "'I see now how fully your grief is justified "'and how completely your husband is a moment of weakness. "'In a moment of weakness forgot what he owed to you, "'and in a moment,' cried Tony, she sprang up, she made two steps backwards and feverishly dried her eyes. A moment, Mamma. he forgot what he owed to me and to our name. He never knew it from the beginning. A man that quietly sits down with his wife's dowry, a man without ambition or energy or willpower, a man that has some kind of thick soup made out of hops in his veins instead of blood. And I verily believe he has, and to let himself down to such common doings as this with Babette and when I reproached him with his good for nothingness to answer with a word that word and arrived once more at the word the word she would not repeat quite suddenly she took a step forward and said in a completely altered and quieter milder interesting, interested tone how perfectly sweet where did you get that mama? she motioned with her chin towards a little receptacle a charming basket-work-stand, woven out of the reeds and decorated with ribbon-bows, in which the Frau Consul kept her fancy work. I bought it some time ago, answered the old lady. I needed it. Very smart, Tony said, looking at it with her head on one side. The Frau Consul looked at it too, but without seeing it, for she was in deep thought. Now, my dear daughter, she said at last, putting out her hand again. However things are, you are here, and welcome a hundred times to your old home. We can talk everything over when we are calmer. Take your things off in your room and make yourself comfortable. Ida, she called out, into the dining room, lifting her voice. Lay a place for Madame Permanida, and one for Erica, my dear. Alrighty there we go. Another chapter for you. Her Permanita is a bit of a sleaze ball. Is that worse than the baby dying though, as the previous chapter led us to believe? I don't think so. Anyway, have your say about it. I'll see you tomorrow.